0: Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca L. Salois, And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. Welcome back to our second student episode. As we mentioned in the previous episode, we're releasing content created by our Baruch College students over the past semester. This week, the work comes from LTS 1003 Latin America, an institutional and cultural survey, LTS 3012, Latinas A Social and Cultural Survey, and LTS 3059, Latine Literature in the United States. For these classes, we each offer students the option of completing a podcast episode for their final project. Other options might include a paper, a video, a website, or even a social media project, depending on the course. Since students are assigned to listen to podcasts throughout the semester, they grow accustomed to what they sound like, and this helps them plan out how they want to present their own research in this medium. For some of these students, creating a podcast was something they'd never done before, and we're proud of them for stepping outside of their comfort zones and trying something new. At the end of the semester, we asked students who submitted podcast episodes for their permission to share their research on this platform. A handful of students granted us that permission. Those are the students you'll hear from now. Their work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. We have not edited them for content. In this episode, we feature projects by LTS 3059 student John Avila, LTS 1003 students Daisy Ho and Jaden Mohan, and LTS 3012 student Kevin Calixto. John's research focuses on family building and economic stability for Latinx workers. He uses the novel Chingada by Rigoberto González and Estamos Aquí, poems by migrant farm workers, to guide his discussion. Daisy takes a different approach to her project and considers the implementation of the carbon tax in Chile. She discusses the effects of climate change in Latin America and the response to Chile being the first country in Latin America to enforce a carbon tax on corporations. Jaden dives into Latine stereotypes found in pop culture. She speaks to the importance of breaking racial and ethnic stereotypes in television— and dives into the history of Latinx representation throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century. And to wrap up this podcast episode, Kevin considers the influence of Latinas in film and the importance of diverse representation. In particular, he considers the lack of Afro-Latina representation in the media and how that affects the ways in which audiences perceive Latinidad. These projects focus on a range of themes highlighting some of the many topics of importance to the Latina and Latin American communities. Let's give
1: them a listen. Hello, listeners. This is your host, John Avila, and today we'll be discussing some Latinx topics. In today's podcast, I would like to examine the concept of family building and economic stability in the lives of Latinx workers. We'll analyze the novel Chingada by Rigoberto González, Estamos aqui poems by migrant farm workers to elaborate on our discussion. First of all, let's establish what I think regarding this topic. From my personal experience as a first generation immigrant and from speaking and working with other Latinx immigrants, I'll say that many of us Latinos leave our homes in pursuit of the American dream deceived by what it truly takes to even get close to success in a foreign country. Once we arrive and get a taste of the struggle and sacrifices the American dream will take, it can be overwhelming and at times lead immigrants to an an unhappy life. Now that we heard my take on the topic, let's discuss who Rigoberto González is and analyze his novel chingada and how he relates to our topic today. Rigoberto Gonzalez is a poet and author from Bakersfield, California. If you didn't know, Latinos are the largest racial and ethnic group in California, making up 39% of the population. Gonzalez was raised in Michoacán, Mexico, but now lives in New York City. Gonzalez graduated from the University of California And is now an English professor at Rutgers University. He has written multiple award-winning poetry books and bilingual children books. Now let's analyze González's novel Chingada. And you might be asking yourself, what's Chingada? Chingada is a term mostly used by Mexicans, and it can have slightly different meanings depending on the way it's used. But for the most part, it's a bad word, mostly used when someone is pissed off or annoyed, and it's similar to the word fuck. In Chingada, Chela is a single mother with three kids. She works in the barnyard picking grapes and struggles financially, as well as struggles with her family. One thing that we know about Chela is that she's a dependent woman. Multiple people in her life have told her that she needs to get back with the father of her kids who can support her, but she doesn't want that because uh, he's using her just for sex and she describes him as a good-for-nothing wetback. The daycare that Chela had to pay for her two youngest was overwhelming to say the least. The daycare would take her entire check and it was to a point where if she stayed home to take care of the kids, it would be no different as there was no money left either way. Jella struggles to support her family as a single mother. Her work in the wasn't wasn't reliable with the hours and also it was seasonal work so she had to jump from jobs all the time. Nothing seemed to be stable in her life. She feels that her kids are distant towards her. Her daughter, Lucita, will call her teacher mommy, and this was very hurtful to Chela as a mother. Towards the end, Chela fears that her kids won't even recognize her as she doesn't spend enough time with them, and that even she feels that the babysitter knows her kids better than her. Now, let's discuss Estamos Aquí, poems by migrant farm workers. This book is a collection of Spanish poems from multiple Latinx authors and it covers the struggles of immigrants. The poems are pretty short and written in Spanish but translated in English. I do feel a stronger connection to the poems when I read them in Spanish so i like to share them with you the way it was originally written. The first poem is Guatemalteco by Abel Domínguez and if you didn't know, Guatemala is in Central America, south of Mexico. It's a country of volcanoes, mountains, and beaches on the Pacific Ocean and the Caribbean Sea. The country does have many issues like corruption, crime, and poverty, so you can see why many Guatemaltecos might want to leave the country in search for a better future. Now on to the poem, Guatemalteco. Pues soy un guatemalteco, pero traigo muchas penas. Así como yo fui un tiempo para defender a mi patria, pero salí de mi tiempo y cuando llegué a mi casa me iban a perseguir los guerrillas. Por esa razón me vine aquí a salvar mi vida en los Estados Unidos, sufriendo cansancio, hambre y sed. Y cuando estoy en mi casa, con penas, pensando de mi familia, sin dinero para mantener mis hijos. Sé que tengo que regresar a ver mis hijos. Guatamalteco is about a man who served for his country. But eventually had to save himself from the dangers of his very own country. The most interesting part of this poem to me is... When he speaks about his experiences in the United States, he talks about being hungry, thirsty, and tired, which is something you wouldn't expect in a country that you migrated to for a better future. He talks about missing his family, about his struggles financially, and um, he could barely support himself or his kids back home in Guatemala. He seems to be tired of the life he's living in the promised land and just wants to return back home to his kids, even though if he does return, he's in high danger of being killed by the guerrillas back home. The second short poem I want to share is Recordando by Manuel Magadán. Recordando Escribo estas líneas al recordar mi venida y también al mismo tiempo ya estoy pensando en la vida. Pero eso no importa porque sé que yo yo les voy a mandar dinero a mis hijos y mi esposa, Virginia, que con lágrimas en los ojos me desea ver esposa querida y escríbeme seguido. Yo sentía que al dejar mi familia deba de un pedazo de mi vida, recordando. The title, Recordando, translates to remembering. The man is remembering his journey to the promised land. He's thinking about his new life without those he loved around him. But what comforts him is that his kids and wife, Virginia, will have money to survive now. Separation has broken the souls souls of the family, but it is a sacrifice that had to be taken for them to survive. Now that we covered the novel Chingada and the two short poems, Guatemalteco and Recordando, let's summarize the conflicts faced by these people and their families. Chell is a single mother with the issue of not having a stable job and not making enough to support her and her family. Her kids seem to be distant from her as she has sacrificed time with them in order to work some in some ways, is stuck in this cycle of working to barely get by and some months not even that. She looks for help from the government but she doesn't want to give up. She doesn't want to give herself to a man. She doesn't want to give up on her family and sacrifice a healthy relationship with her children. She doesn't want her kids to grow up thinking that the only work there is for people like them is field work. In the two poems I covered the economic issues in their countries and dangers is what led them to migrate, but they soon realized that the separation from their family is very hard to deal with. Some are barely surviving in this foreign country and those who are surviving are in a cycle of loneliness and work so that they can send money back home. One of my first jobs was at a construction company, which I worked at for a few years. The company was owned by Italians, but majority of the employees were Mexican, Chapines, Catrachos, and a few Codorians like myself. We were all like family, and during our lunch break, we would share meals together, filled with laughter, but also at times stories of their journeys and their struggles of being away from their home country. They will had similar stories when it came to their struggles back home and their struggles in their temporary home. They all had to leave their country due to poverty and having no opportunities. They had no choice but to take a dangerous journey in order to support their families back home. They'll talk about how life didn't get any easier. They may, They might have a little more money now, but the issue of separation and loneliness at times was too much. And they'll rely on las chelas to help cope with that. They'll talk about how it was hard to be away from the ones they loved, but the thought of knowing that their families back home aren't dying of hunger, combined with the assistance of las cervezas, was enough to help them cope with all the issues they were facing. Many of them had very similar routines. Monday to Fridays, they'll get up to go work get their small coffee with a tamale or empanadas and work as much as possible. After work, they'll get their cerveza fria in and either go cash their checks and hit the Western Union right after or go pass out in their small rented room with the hopes of being able to make enough money to buy a house back home so that they can finally return back to their families. There's a crazy statistic that i found. It says that nearly 60% of unemployed immigrants return back home within their first year in the United States. And overall, one third of immigrants return back home after working for a few years. Money doesn't seem to mean much when your mental health is at an no time low due to loneliness and your family being far away. That's why many do not stay here for too long. Just like in the novel and poems we covered, immigrants come to the promised land to work but soon discover that it's not an easy life. It is a life of working hard liberal jobs, sending money back home and ending the night in your small rented room all alone. But you have to live this lonely and frugal life so that you can afford to send money to your family back home and maybe save enough for you to return home one day. The kids have to grow up with an absentee parent which of course ends up affecting their development and relationship with the absentee parent. But uh, the options are very few, um, it's either go sleep hungry while well, your family go sleep hungry or go to sleep full but without a parent. The issue of economic stability and family building are prevalent but from my experiences of the characters we covered and the people that I've met immigrants cannot have one without the other suffering thank you listeners that's all we have for today and i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode
2: hi i'm daisy today i'm going to talk about carbon tax in chile have you ever heard of the carbon tax Have you ever wondered whether the carbon tax that is often discussed in recent years is really buying and selling carbon dioxide? Global warming is having a huge impact on Latin America because as an important center for global food production, arable land is really important. Increasing global temperature could lead to sea level rise and reducing arable land. Also, climate change brings a negative impact on people's drinking water, agricultural production and hydropower. The impacts of global warming have become worse in recent years, therefore people began to pay attention to this issue, especially in Latin America. Chile is the first country in South America that started the carbon tax in 2014. And carbon tax is a policy that wants to reduce carbon emissions, and it will set a f- fixed price per ton of carbon or carbon dioxide emitted, and a carbon tax would increase the cost of burning fossil fuels and encourage a shift to less pollute fuels. And depending on how different countries use carbon tax, it also can have a different economic impacts in different country. Today, I'm going to show both negative and positive views of the carbon tax. Chile's incorporation of the carbon tax in 2014 might lead to them becoming more environmentally beneficial than a majority of Latin America countries today by reducing carbon emissions and the use of carbon tax. So, carbon tax is helpful for our environment. Because the emission of carbon dioxide will have a negative impact on our environment, Government set the price for it, which is the carbon tax. The more emissions, the more carbon tax will be paid to the government. And the government can use this money for many other things, for example, like guiding and rewarding enterprises for transformation and emission reduction technologies. This policy can force business transformation because if they stay the same and produce more carbon dioxide, it will cost them too much money. A successful example of this is British Columbia. According to the British Columbia premier, Christy Clark, in 2008, we put a price on carbon tax. Since then, our energy-related greenhouse gas emissions have dropped it by more than 5%. And emissions are down across the board, all while our economy has continued to grow. So this quote shows that in British Columbia, the carbon tax not only helped them to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, which means it is helpful for our environment but also pro-economic growth in British Columbia. And there is another quote that shows the carbon tax has a positive impact for us. On January first, 2017, the green taxes regime came into force. Revenues from green taxes amounted to over $298.3 million in 2018 with the greatest contribution from the power generation sector, which is around 94%. This source is talking about Chile, which shows that after the carbon tax started in Chile, they had an extra income from the carbon tax. This source can also show that the Chilean government did support this policy and they tried to let this carbon tax become a success. And also, the reason why the power generation sector has the greatest contribution is that the main source of electricity is the burning of fossil fuels. So there are carbon emissions in electricity consumption. And this situation also appears in various countries. Therefore, it is hard for us to actually achieve zero carbon emissions because the majority is using the combustion of fossil fuels. The only thing that we can do is to reduce it. But I think this policy did work in some countries and reduce carbon emissions, like British Columbia. From these two sources, I think the carbon tax is helpful for long-run development And one thing that I think is really important is government support in order to make sure that the carbon tax can be successfully implemented. So next, we are going to talk about the totally opposite opinion about the carbon tax. Carbon tax doesn't affect reducing carbon dioxide emission because the carbon tax system is not perfect right now. There are also some sources that shows this policy is not really useful for our environment. So whether the real impact is beneficial can still be discussed further. And there is a quote that discussed the carbon tax in Chile. The results show that a tax of $5 per ton of carbon dioxide for industrial sources of more than 50 megawatts of thermal power is wholly ineffective in reducing emissions. If a carbon tax is applied to all independent sources of power, only a few industrial sources are predicted to change their current fuel, mainly changing coal to biomass. The conclusion is that The carbon tax served to rise tax revenues rather than reduce emissions. In 2014, Chile introduced a tax reform on carbon dioxide emissions that will be collected in 2017. This research talked about each industrial source option to reduce their tax by switching to cleaner fuels But the result shows that a tax of $5 per ton of carbon dioxide didn't bring a positive effect on emission carbon dioxide. Therefore this author said that this carbon tax only increased the government's tax income. And there are some ways that I think might improve this problem. The first one is to that the government show the public about how they respond to carbon tax, such as whether they use the money to study environmental issues or improving their emissions reduction technologies, and the second one is they can just increase the carbon price per ton to force everyone to change to a cleaner fuel. Another quote discussing the disadvantage for carbon tax is about Europe. And just a quick background information about Europe. Europe is basically the country with the most complete carbon tax system in the world. And the quote is, Carbon leakage is real but limited, and it should receive the political attention. It merits but not more. All measures to address carbon leakage are imperfect, including carbon barter taxes. So basically, carbon leakage is when one country has a very tough policy to reduce its carbon emissions, resulting in an increasing in other countries' greenhouse gas emissions. For example, if Europe has a very tough carbon tax policy, the company will need to increase their cost. So to avoid high carbon tax, they will move to another country that has less carbon tax to decrease their costs. And in this situation, Europe's carbon emissions decrease, but the overall carbon emissions are not decreased because they just moved to another country. So this source is talking about this problem in Europe because the Europe has a difficult carbon tax policy. As a result, this situation is not helpful for global warming, even though they have a carbon tax. By these two sources, I think the carbon tax do need to be improved, although Europe has a relatively complete system to control carbon emissions they still have a carbon leakage problem need to be fixed if the same problem happens in latin america does the latin america government have ability to fix it for now the only solution that i can think about is to set up the same carbon tax policy in every country but it is really hard to accomplish especially in Latin America, because they are very dependent on oil extraction. The carbon tax system is imperfect now, but the problem of global warming is already very serious. Therefore, we need to find out the solution as soon as possible. Chile is the first Latin America country to implement carbon tax. It is a big step towards environmental protection in Latin America and after researching, it is really surprising that there are many sources show that carbon tax is not useful to protect our earth, but the majority are having positive thoughts and looking forward to it. Most of the sources that show carbon tax is useless basically argue this is an imperfect policy, especially in Latin America, but I think it takes time to improve it, so carbon tax is still a great policy for our long-run development. Chile participating in this policy is definitely a big improvement for Latin America and also a great example of carbon tax. Although the current carbon tax system is not perfect, and there is no way to achieve zero carbon emissions, the implementation of carbon tax must have a positive impact on long run development in Chile.
3: Hello, good morning, good evening, good night, depending on where you are and when you are listening. Today, we're going to be coming back with another one of our let's just say my personal favorite segment, which is diving into stereotypes. Now, I think we I think we all know what stereotypes are. Like, okay, as being a Caribbean and black individual, I feel like I've encountered stereotypes throughout my whole life, and I feel like a lot of my listeners can relate to the same thing, honestly. So I feel like it's really important to dive into what stereotypes do to us, how they originate, You know the way stereotypes are so rooted in our lives like I have dyed hair and I never once thought about like I'm black is the reason why I can't dye my hair. I'm thinking bleach is bad for your hair So like that's why you don't dye your hair and It's just crazy how you like walk around in everyday life and you know, these stereotypes really affect us. So today we're going to be going into how it affects our latin community And specifically, you know, pop culture, you know, showing and portraying how Latins in like the early 2000s were challenging racial stereotypes created in the late 1900s by like representing characters breaking these repurposing racial stigmas. Like pop culture is one of our strongest methods of creating a voice for any community. And if you put out characters that break these racial stereotypes, people will follow along. Like... Like music, albums, TV shows, movies, if you push a narrative in something that's as popular as those types of pop culture, that's the way to break racial stigmas and stereotypes. And we're going to be getting into that today. So first off, let's talk about an article I read. So basically in the article, it was talking about how like the earliest attempts to challenge racial stereotypes was through comedy. And honestly, that's like one of the most brilliant ways to address racial stereotypes. Through comedy, the Latin community was able to break these racial stereotypes. Um, Back in the like late-ish 1900s, people were forced to fake, exaggerate their ethnic features and, and mock their culture. That was like, the more derogatory form of the comedy. But later, it transformed into repurposing the idea of mocking, quote-unquote, mocking Hispanic culture. And it portrayed comedy by having Hispanic individuals themselves, like, kind of repurpose that comedy for example in the george lopez show some people see their use of comedy as problematic but others see it as really relatable and comforting and this portion are people from their culture allowed to repurpose something and that was first given a negative connotation and repurpose it to like fight back against it you know what i'm saying So, like, in the article I was reading, it it specifically said more Latinos appear on television than ever before. And they were more realistically portrayed. It was not that long ago when, to get a small part in an episode of All in the Family, Victor Argo was sent away for an audition because he didn't look like the quote-unquote Puerto Rican that he was. Only to get the part after returning in a bright yellow shirt and a fake mustache. Okay, let me de-pack that and, like, break that down for you. So, you know the show All in the Family? Like, to get—and he got really famous off of that show. But to get that role, he kind of—he didn't get it for his acting. He got it for mocking the way he looked. Like, if he didn't look like the typical Puerto Rican that most people, like, mocked or had, like, you know, like, had specific— ideas of like if he didn't look like the mustache which is like really sad like just because other people perceive a specific culture in one way doesn't mean that he had to be portrayed in that way but like it just goes to show that like in the late 1900s like that's how pop culture was there was a stigma that if you didn't look the part you didn't get the part depend despite you being talented or you understanding the culture behind it completely and being able to act proficiently, it only mattered if you looked the part physically. And I I was reading this and I was like, I, I really, I was really taken aback, like just to see how far back it goes. Like, like he, he wouldn't have been as famous as he was if he didn't have to do, if he didn't like degrade himself, which is honestly crazy. Like this specifically happened in the film industry to Latinos and it, it wanted them to mock their own culture, which kind of leads me into the next one. It said, Hispanic inter-ethnic comparative joking stereotypes are much more common, rooted to the cross-ethnicity of George, Mexican, which is like the George Lopez within the show, uh, the Lopez family, and his wife, Angie, who played a second-generation Cuban-American on the show. So basically, the Mexican-Cuban relationship provides comic relief. George talks to Angie about her father's crazy behavior. He's out of a mojito-drinking, banana-frying, chicken-chasing mind. Like, so basically this kind of leads more into how in the George Lopez show, they repurposed this mocking of culture and made it to comedy. Not saying any of the stereotypes I just said were okay. Like, I personally, like, I can never say that. But he said that these stereotypes... Is what made Hispanic culture okay to ha- like quote unquote mock because it was somebody of their own ethnic culture repurposing it. It's a debate. It's it's definitely an, a debate. Not everybody is okay with the repurposing of culture. Like some people feel like the repurposing of culture is redundant and it just brings back up old stereotypes. And some people feel like it gives them a place to feel comfortable within their own culture. So that's definitely a debate. And I'd love to hear some of you guys' thoughts in the comments on what do you feel about this debate and if you feel it's okay for cultures to repurpose something that was given a negative connotation. Another factor I wanted to talk about is the conversation of African-Americans and Latinos in shows and how are they compared. So another quote I was... Like reading through was an article and it had explained how the conversations of African-American characters fared better because they were more relaxed and spontaneous, while the conversation of Latinos were least articulate, most accented and less spontaneous. The work of this article replicates the early study by Mastro by explaining the representation of appearance and controversial characteristics and personal characteristics among Caucasian, Latino and African-American characters on prime television. And honestly, this is extremely prevalent because it goes into one of the most recent shows that I was thinking about, which was on my block, And it basically showed, OK, so back in the day, they would put down Latinos and have them have a stronger accent and have them seem more or less articulate than African-Americans, which was kind of pinning the two ethnicities against each other, which was extremely counterproductive and I feel like a way we're definitely breaking the stereotype is through the show On My Block. Like On My Block shows black Latino, regular like uh, like Puerto Rican Latino, black just straight up black characters. Like and how they create a community with each other to break different racial stereotypes. Like Caesar, he wants to get out of the gang. The black Latino girl, she wants to be able to be intelligent without having either side be a representation of her intelligence and the black character jamal he's trying to break that racial stereotype that like all black people are good at sports and football and maybe he doesn't want to do football maybe he wants to be a comedian and he's trying to break that stereotype as well and I feel like this is really important because it shows how recent pop culture is trying to cultivate the idea that you don't have to pin ethnicities against each other. And you can break that stigmatism that Hispanic people or Latino or Latinx people are are not art- articulate or unintelligent or black people are more intelligent th- than them by having them come together, which I felt was a very good portrayal. And then lastly, what I wanted to share was the one of the most important segments of our show today, which was the idea of the Latino man and how he needs to be portrayed. So, I was reading in an article, and it had said that the Latin lover image and subsequent craze emerged in the early 20th century with the presence of two larger than life actors in silent film, Rudolph Valentino and Roman Novario. In Dangerous Men, pre record that in birth, he was supposed to be a primitive type lover as fantasy. These men were portrayed as sexy and dangerous, sometimes naive and innocent, and other times evil and savage. So, the Latino man within pop culture in the late 1900s, early 2000s was really portrayed as dominant, sexy, and kind of aggressive. And if it's like, if he wasn't portrayed as that, he, he honestly would not be as popular. And I don't think that's a horrible stereotype to have in a sense where it's like it's okay to have a like uh, a man be proud of himself and want to feel sexy and dominant but i feel like it becomes a problem when a man or anybody like that's identifies as a man within the latino um, culture and in the film industry cannot be successful if they don't portray themselves as dominant sexy and aggressive and evil or savage quote unquote is what they say and i feel like a really prominent way that we've been trying to break this stereotype in the early 2000s was through the new show love victor where we see a queer male in a leading role and it's honestly out of this world on how popular love victor was it actually got approved for another season and It shows this queer boy. He's in high school and he's Latino and he is moving to a new environment. And his parents are extremely religious, but he knows he is queer. He knows he likes the opposite sex. And it's not something he's really ashamed of, only something he doesn't know how to portray to the rest of the world. And it just shows his struggle and how he's trying to come out about his identity and embrace his identity as a Latino male who who could, be, who could be degraded and could be targeted because he is a Latino male in a society where it's not okay to be queer, but it's kind of showing how it's okay to come out and you're not the only one who's feeling this way. And it could open up so many doors for Latino children or Latino boys who don't think that it's okay to be queer in their community And that's how I feel like Love, Victor was a great platform for showing that not all Latino men in film had to be portrayed as aggressive or evil. We need to understand that like pop culture today, so like 21st century pop culture challenges these racial stereotypes in a prominent way. And it kind of breaks the stereotypes that were rooted in the 1900s. And we need to create more television that breaks these stigmas, not only for the Latino community, but also for all ethnic communities, because... How we're portrayed in film and in the industry is how people is a direct reflection of how people will treat us in society. Like pop culture is one of the driving forces for how people view specific cultures. And that is how we're going to break the stigma is through pop culture. So I enjoyed this podcast episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Please leave in the comments anything else you'd like me to talk about. And that is all for me today. Peace out.
4: hello and good afternoon welcome to my podcast my name is kevin calixto and today i am very excited to speak on latinas in film so when it comes to latinas in film i've been exposed to them at a very early age my first actual encounter with the latina in film was jennifer lopez in the movie selena um selena is based on the pop star selena quintanilla who is mexican-american and is pretty much one of the most famous mexicans to ever date um Unfortunately, her life was cut short and we see this in the movie um, with the depiction of her death by the cause of Yolanda, um, who was her ex-manager. So when it came to this movie and why I kind of bring it up is kind of because of the impact it had on myself. Um, It gave me just this firm idea of, you know, Latinas being more than just a mom or just being more than just, you know. Basically, it, it brought out this idea of representation to me. Um, I saw Mexican cultures, and I saw the struggles of being a Mexican-American. One specific quote was when, you know, we see Abraham, her father, who goes, you know, you're too Mexican to be American, you're too American to be Mexican. So this really resonated with me as, you know, as a Mexican-American myself, I found myself to be very much connected with that, that idea, you know? So when it came to that, I felt as if that movie definitely just played a big factor in, like, my childhood. It definitely defined, like how I want to be portrayed as from both cultures. So I just mainly wanted to bring that idea because I wanted to show the significance what a movie can do to someone um, on their ideas and their depictions on a certain culture, on a certain person, on a certain idea. So when it comes to this, you know, this idea of Latina was definitely altered throughout time. Um, Hollywood has this tendency of only really doing things that they feel as if will generate the most money. And I feel as if this is definitely a product that Latinas had to go through. Um, Just because Latinas is definitely now turned into more of an idea of like what it means to be Latina. So the issue with this is basically Latinas are... The idea of Latinas in film is excluding Latinas in real life. So I feel like a perfect reading that I did and a perfect example is definitely from... um, this reading I did from Afro-Latinas in U.S. Film by Kiara K. Goin. A quote that really resonated with me was when they state, Race is a crucial element in a character development and casting within U.S. film, imbued with symbolic meaning in U.S. audiences who are socially instructed how to read race onto the body. For Afro-Latinas, the other mixed-race actors, their the racialization can be difficult to read and sometimes inton- intentionally ambiguous. Afro-Latinas, those that argue have have a marginal Latinad are rarely included with the popular image of Latina Hispanic population within the United States. So what this talks about is basically the the exclusion of Latino Latina of Afro-Latinas, um, Afro-Latinas within media, specifically you know film. There, there hasn't been too many. I can't name an example off the top of my head, but I can definitely name, ex- like, um, actors. Um, and it's very depressing to say because, you know, I grew up on, like, a lot of Latina actors. And majority of them are kind of marginalized, like, very light-skinned. Very much, you know, very much, like, all have the same characteristics. They're very one-dimensional. They're very much people who just basically are defined by just being a mom or just being someone who's like sexualized and it's very depressing to understand it because you know as someone in the latino culture I understands that latinas have more to that they're more than just these one-dimensional characters there you can't define a latina by just the size just the the color of them they're they're different you know just like you can't define an american there's no actual definition for an american and there's no actual definition for a latina so when it comes to this i really think of like in recent times, yes, it has become a lot more. It has become a lot more ideal to kind of represent all of them. I feel like a great example is actually recently in a movie called Wakanda Forever. We see a character by the name of Lupita Nyong'o, who is actually um, Chad, Boqu- Chad, Chad um mother of a child in the movie. Now, the thing that kind of sparked me the most was that they placed this setting in Haiti. Haiti is basically a very much latina as place that a lot of people kind of stay away from the idea of Latina. They not stay away, but more or less they push away the narrative of them being Latina because they are such dark-skinned people. Now, when it came to this, I kind of just like, you know, was appalled. I was like, well, you know, this is the first time we actually seen like someone from Haiti, someone being represented And, you know, although she didn't get to speak Spanish or any of her, no, not Spanish, but Creole, or she didn't get to speak any of her native language, I do feel as if it's a big step up because we're seeing someone who's actually of Mexican heritage. Lupita, by the way, is uh, Mexican-American and Mexican-Kenyan, sorry. But um, I thought it was just very, it was very appalling because I was just like, whoa, you know, it's the first time I ever see a Latina who is actually Afro-Latina. And it was just insane to learn that, you know, they're definitely trying to depict more of the Afro-Latina into the mainstream audience, and something that I just did not expect myself. Now, although that idea is changing, I do feel as if you know media and film is definitely creating a very dangerous narrative for Latinas by kind of oversexualizing their bodies. You know, in today's films, we see um, actors like Sofia Fer- We're seeing actors such as Sofia Vergara who basically pretty much changed not changed, but is pretty much, very much over-sexualized in the show. You know, they show her body, her figure, clothing that kind of exposes that. And they're kind of giving off the wrong impression of what a Latina is. Although she is Latina, and there are definitely Latinas who, you know, are very proud of their bodies, and I, I'm not saying anything about it. There's more to that, you know. People think, you know, these Latinas are just sassy women, are just people who kind of, People very much oversexualize. Another example I feel like is Selma Hayek. Uh, she's pretty much a person who plays a lot of characters that kind of over Latinas. You know, even in Grown Ups, we see Adam Sandler kind of just being the rich white guy who marries a Latina that um, is pretty much oversexualized. And I feel like as if it's something that's pretty much causing a very bigger issue than we're actually thinking it actually is. And another quote that I found from um, a reading that kind of really resonated with me was from Latinas in documentary filmmaking, uh, issues of representation, funding, and opportunity, which was written by by Boses. And the quote that I decided to kind of bring out was, um, "When they go, I turn to the frontier. Of the fabric constitutes precisely because clothing makes an unclear boundary ambiguously, and unclear boundaries disturb us." As Elizabeth Wilson oppositely points out. The degree of this disturbance range from barely perceptible to forceful in the extreme. Degrees in the article endeavors palpate in the Latina literature and films that brings it together. So when it comes to this, the reading mainly talked about how, you know, Latina clothing is pretty much shown as non-existent when it comes to films. You know, they show a lot of cleavage. They're told to kind of show things that show off their figure. And this issue is causing more of like a negative effect on the Latina community as Latinas are now expected to have this beautiful figure supposedly just be built a certain way and I feel as if this is an issue that is kind of creating just this idea of differentiating Latinas from each other they definitely just want to exclude themselves out because you know they don't feel as if they fit this narrative of you know being Latina enough they're not light-skinned enough now they don't have the body to be a Latina and I feel as if this is a, a bigger issue than we're actually thinking because you know, we've seen how media has kind of pretty much impacted the way people view themselves when it comes to like social media. People are basically starving themselves to reach this figure. Now, Latinas have this expectation to reach this curvy figure that many of them, you know, they're all built different. So they can't, they can't be perfect in that definition. And that's definitely wrong. It's definitely causing more harm than good. And that's why I kind of state that, you know, maybe it's best that Latinas aren't very much represented as much. Um, well, not represented, but very much not depicted as much in these ideas. Like, when I say, you know, Latinas shouldn't be shown in media, I feel as if they shouldn't, The certain aspects shouldn't be shown in certain media. It's like, these ideas, you know, this light skin, this specific picture that they give out of Latinas with the perfect body, the accent and everything, it's wrong because... Now you're just defining who that person is, and there's no direct definition of what a Latina is. And that's making it, and it's excluding people from, you know, feeling as if they're a part of the community. Now, one of the bigger points that I want to point out is when you see Latinas in media, you don't really see representation. There is no true representation of Latinas in film. Uh, What I mean by this is, like, this idea of Latina is only really, like, really only... Excluded to only one certain group, these Latinas are light skin, beautiful body, beautiful hair, and it's definitely depicted a lot in these readings. A lot of these readings, um, specifically in this reading, I found was Latinas in documentary filmmaking issues representation, funding, and opportunity, uh, which is by the U.S. Latino Latina Oral uh, History Journal. Um, and when it came to this reading, I found it to be very interesting because it's, it doesn't just talk about Latinas, but it talks about Latinos as a whole. Um, when it came to this a specific part that caught my eye was when they stated that in 2007 PBS was preparing a war Ken Burns 14.5 hour documentary series about World War II when it became known that seven episode series presented no not one Latino or Latino voice a several Latino Latina organization protested as the grassroots coalition emerged known as Define the Honor Um, organizations involved in the coalition included the U.S. Latino and Latina World War II Oral History Project, the National Hispanic Media um, Constitution National Institute, CLR, and the American GI Forum. Um, This one I felt as if just showed the lack of representation of Latinos and Latinas in documentaries or in film in general. Um, But I feel like it just kind of gives you a grasp on this idea of how little they kind of represent Latinos and Latinas. And like, especially Latinas, like, there's literally war veterans who were in World War II and then they still weren't a part of this big documentary that um, PBS came out with about, you know, the war. And it's insane to understand that, you know, a lot of these Latinas, Latinos are more than just these one-dimensional, oh, you know, family-oriented people. They're actually human beings with their own lives, their own ideas, their own aspects. And they definitely just secluded a lot of them from just this idea of what it truly means to be a latina and i feel as if it's, it's definitely causing a bigger issue than you know than like it's definitely generating more harm than it is good especially within you know the media that we have today and when it comes to like tv shows instead of rather just talking about movies i feel like a great example was stephanie beatriz who played um um officer rosa mendez in brooklyn 99 I remember in one of your interviews, she was talking about how, you know, it was her and then another actor by the name of Melissa Fomero, who are both Latinas. Now she they were both originally going for the specific parts, but now she understood that, you know, now there's one Latina. There's there just there's no possible way there can be another Latina. Um, and that's what Hollywood kind of ruined this idea of, you know, Latinas, because they always face them as like going at going at it with each other. Now, what I liked actually a lot about Rosamond's um, character, Stephanie Beatriz, sorry, Rosa is her name from her detective, her detective name. Um, but what I really liked about her character was, you know, she was more than just this household, you know, basic Latina. They definitely went against this basic idea of that of they, what they have about Latinas. She was a part of the LGBT community. Um, they showed her as a lead detective. She was smarter than one, probably the main character. You know, it's something that I haven't seen in media in quite a while or in general, actually, to be completely honest with you. They definitely gave her a different role um, compared to like, you know, Melissa, who, although she she was very much a lot smarter than that main role, she kind of fell a little more toward, you know, like these basic ideas of like, you know, you just a Latina in the in the industry who works as a cop. But I felt like Stephanie's character definitely portrayed a little bit of a better idea. And one character that I just genuinely did enjoy in the show. And, you know, I did enjoy her per her, um, her. Yeah, and I really enjoyed her, like, depiction of this character. I felt as if it fit her perfectly. Even in real life, she's actually bisexual. And in the interview, she kind of talked about that kind of struggle within her own life. And it's just very inspiring to me. And as time is kind of going, we're starting to see media and especially in film kind of go against this idea of, like, basic Latinas who kind of meet the status quo you know we're starting to see you know characters like Stephanie Beatriz and like just these characters such as Neon and it's definitely going. definitely getting a lot better and I feel as if it's going in the right direction and especially like even in the older times I feel as if there were times where they kind of poked fun at you know this idea of what it meant to be a Latina a specific example is um, Beautiful Señoritas by, by Dolores Prida um which kind of is a play about these latinas who basically go against the idea of you know the typical idea of oh a latina you know we're seeing these latinas who are genuinely funny who are genuinely poking fun at these ideas of a latina. well the entire poem was basically the entire play was basically just poking fun at the stereotypes of these names of just their ideas and their ideals and i feel as if you know it's been around for quite a while and You know, this idea of, you know, going against what Latina is has been going around for quite a while. As This book was actually published in 1991 and this was long before even Selena came out, which was in 1997. So I feel as if that definitely shows, you know, where we're at when it comes to this idea of Latinas. As you know, not everyone enjoyed it. Just because, you know, me personally, I feel as if it's doing far more damage than good. And to conclude my podcast, I'd like to just end it off with just saying that, you know, Latinas are a staple in the Hispanic community. They are beyond important they're beyond a significant they kind of just pretty much are the backbone to the Hispanic culture you know without men there can't like you know without this idea of who Latinos are you kind of have to understand that there has to be a Latina there has to be just you know the backbone of what the Hispanic community is although you know there there's no real difference between the men and women I do feel as if you know Latinas definitely take a larger role. You know they're definitely someone that deserve far more. That deserve far more praise than what they get, and it's very sad, especially to me, to see that you know they're they're not depicted this way when it comes to media. They're depicted as oh you know just this one standardized character with this beautiful body, beautiful hair, and just you know a very one dimensional person. You know, Latinas can be cannot be defined in my opinion. They, there's no way you can define a Latina. You know, when I think of my mom, when I think of my sister, when I think of um, Jennifer Lopez, these are all women who are just completely different, with completely different features and completely different specialties, you know? I'll, I'll definitely have a lot more love for, like, when it comes to these ideas of Latina, um, just because I feel as if they aren't given the treatment that they deserve. They aren't respected as much as I deserve, you know? I definitely am pretty much a little happier with the way they're kind of depicting Latinas now on not from now on, but lately, um, because they're not these one-dimensional people. But definitely when it comes to Latinas in film, it's very much awful to see the false narrative of how Latinas should kind of be defined and how they're kind of being secluded into just one specific definition. And it's pretty much why I feel as if, you know, although it is good to have Latinas in, you know, in film, I do feel as if, you know, with all the readings and everything, there has definitely been more harm than good, which is what kind of left me to my thesis of, like, you know, is it really a good idea to have Latina representation? Um, now, when in the future, I do hope as if there is far more. The only thing is, you know, I feel as if they have to do it the right way. They can't do it what Hollywood depicted is the right way because that isn't the right way. They're completely harming far more Latinas than they think. You know, they're they're segregating these people from their own group. And it's very depressing to think about. And thank you. I really appreciate you listening and taking the time to listen to my podcast. Hope you have a great day.
0: Thanks again to our students for sharing their work and contributing to these special episodes. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Rojo and I will be back with fresh episodes next week. This season we'll be exploring the relationship between New York and Latinidad. In the meantime, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts with us. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Visions, and our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family, and if you have a moment, we'd love it if you could leave a five-star review on both Apple and Spotify. Gracias de nuevo. Until next time.